You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, Back to the Future, in which we discuss the renewed interest in preparing meals at home. Today we're speaking with Alan Mayu from the Downey Street Bakehouse in Stratford, Ontario, about life in artisanal bread baking and the perfect sourdough. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We're really happy to have you here. Alan, can you tell us about the Downey Street Bakehouse, what it is and what you do? Sure. Um, we make long-fermented sourdoughs and artisanal breads, uh, specialty breads. And essentially what that means is that we take a little extra time to make bread. There's credible research out of uh, the UK and out of Canada and Italy suggesting that the longer it takes to make a loaf of bread, the more easy it is to digest and the better it is for you. So we concentrate on making things that take a little longer than most. Wow, very, very interesting and and a nice uh, change from what we see in our fast-paced world, everything we're trying to speed up one way or another, that there is some very unique artistic and methodological things happening in bread baking. And I can't wait to Mm -hmm. hear more all about it in the show. Alan, Downey Street is a bakehouse. And what's the difference between a bakehouse and a bakery? Oh, you caught me on that one because there really isn't a different a difference. I was just looking for a, a word that would help sort of set us apart a little bit. Bakery, bakery, everybody knows what a bakery is, but it's just we just threw a different word in there. That was all. There was nothing I, too fancy about it. I think it was really effective because uh, it got my interest and it sounds very, as you say, unique, just like your uh, bread making processes. So I think it was very effective. And Alan, you've dedicated a great deal of your life to artisanal bread baking. I'm wondering, how did you get interested in it? My wife and I have been married for a very long time. And just after we got married, she noticed that while she had a lot of hobbies, I didn't really have a whole lot of them. Uh, she suggested that I get a hobby. I started baking. We we're making muffins and then started making bread and things that we could bring to family events and, and share with friends. And, and it kind of took on a life of its own. It moved from there to uh, opening our first bed and breakfast in Windsor, which was an interesting experiment. Uh, but we did a lot of baking and a lot of cooking there. And that really, that really fueled a bit of fire in me. So much so that uh, it led us to Stratford, to the Stratford Chef School, where I learned how to cook, but also to, uh, to bake. And that seemed to be the, uh, the thing that I kept coming back to was making bread. So, Wonderful. So it was a real evolution. You started with uh, a new hobby, something to get interested in. And it really, mm-hmm. and I know people are really interested in tea or they're really interested in wine, but bread making is just as fascinating from the flour to the method to the oven that you're using. So it really does have its own world and its own technique. And Absolutely. It's, it, it's such an interesting area. I, I, and I love the end result. Bread is delicious. And uh, Absolutely. I, uh, it's one of those things where the fruits of your labor are very rewarding in bread baking. Mm-hmm. For sure. How, how did you actually develop your technique and acquire the skills to become an artisanal bread baker? Aside from the, the chef school training, an awful lot of it is just uh, I'm self-taught. So we, we tried things, but there seemed to be a, an element of urgency in some of it. In you know, we when we opened our, our second bed and breakfast every year in Stratford, in order to, to supplement our income, we started making bread to sell at the farmers market. So there was an urgency there to try to figure out in a big hurry how to scale up from making a couple of loaves to making a couple hundred loaves. So it was just trial and error and and also being pushed by, we need to get this done because, you know, the mortgages do. Very, very realistic and trial and error that finding your own style 
and finding that technique and method that is unique to you uh, as an artisanal baker at the Downey uh, Street Bakehouse in Stratford. That's really such a great story. And I have had some of your delicious bread and one of the, uh, the loaves that has walnut in it makes the absolute best French toast with just a little bit of orange just. It's, it's yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's heaven. And you've got some really, what a range of things that you offer. I'm mm-hmm. wondering, Alan, um, you've been at this a little while and you've developed your craft and I know there's lineups and you've got to get there early to get some of your bread because people love it as much as I do. What do you mm. think some of the challenges are that are facing artisanal bakehouses today? That's a good question. It, it's probably getting the word out that, that what we're doing is a good thing and that it, uh, it might seem a little more expensive than, than what you can find in other places, but it really is worth the time and the effort to, to seek out a good baker and to, uh, to support them. So convincing people that what we have is good and good for them and also that, uh, that it's, it's worth what we're suggesting they pay for it. Right. And we just had a a food waste show and the advice that keeps coming back and back is love what you eat. And that's the way not to waste it because it won't sit in the fridge or it won't sit on the shelf. You'll eat it. But it's just so exciting. There's something very rewarding about it and um, sensual and that you can see it, you can smell it, you can hear it when you bite into it and, you know, obviously taste it. And I think that that is really an important message today that loving your food and knowing that you're having something special with an artisanal uh, loaf of bread. So it's an excellent point that value add in supporting local communities. And so what are some of the biggest opportunities that artisanal bakehouses and bakers can look forward to? In supporting our community, there's there's a move afoot to try to support the the, the community beyond us. So there are farmers who are growing specific uh, types of wheat for bakers. Uh, a, a fellow up in St. Catharines who uh, he regularly buys a farmer's field worth of wheat and has it milled himself, and you know goes to to make sure that he gets a fair price for his product, which is not always uh, always the case, uh, and that he can support somebody beyond just just his own customers. And, and I think it's an opportunity to find a product or or a food that you that you never knew existed before we've been making a walnut sourdough forever and and people look at it like a walnuts in bread who would have thought of doing that so it's an opportunity for us to to try to expand people's palate to uh, to try something new um, support a whole lot of people along the way that's really exciting and i i love how uh the networking and the whole system that's behind something as simple as a loaf of bread and one of the things that canadians in, in the world has become interested in is food integrity and where did it come from and mm-hmm. um you know what was the path to the plate and so and i think that that's really great as we try to um have a diverse food supply and mm-hmm. one that aligns with our own values so i'm wondering alan with all of this incredible all of the options and your skills how on earth do you decide what to offer at the bakehouse? Yeah, that one's always tough because desire to, tr- to make more, to try new things uh, without having anything fall away behind it is, is a difficult thing. The desire is to always try to make new things and, and find new markets for, for uh, new customers for products that we like to make. But we're always looking for things that are for breads that are healthy, that are good for you, that have flavor. We're looking for a lot of flavor. So it's, it's a matter of finding what's in season or what's available, uh, coupled with uh, whole grains that are good for you, that are, that are um, good for us to, uh, to get our hands on and try to incorporate into a bread. As I hear you talk, Alan, I'm thinking there's a whole concept of a way of life almost behind every loaf of bread that you offer. And uh, all those tiny details, all the heart that goes into it, I think means that there's really something special in our food supply. And I I have had your bread and I can attest that you do get that flavor. It is really, really delicious. Thank you. You're welcome. What are some of the most complicated things that you make at the bakehouse? Uh, it, it's always the sourdough. Um, 
where we're sitting right now, the temperature is really high. I know that's going to cool down in a little while, but um, temperature really has a, a big effect on, on the sourdough production. The hotter it gets, the faster things move, and the, the colder it gets, the slower they move. So trying to schedule uh, a production so that, that we're not standing around waiting for things to rise or that we're not rushing because things are rising too fast. But making sourdough is a, it's a, it's a challenge because there, there are steps along the way in, in, in making a sourdough loaf that um, are simple, but you have to keep an eye on them. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. And that, 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 that makes it very complicated and very difficult. It just requires a bit of, a bit of skill and a bit of experience. Right. And know-how and observation and SEA mm. uh, technique and, and just yeah. really understanding the nature of that dough. It's so poetic hearing you talk that in, in today's fast-paced world, that a shift in temperature will change the outcome of the thing that we're trying to make. There is some comfort in that, in that today's, we sometimes we don't know what's you know going to be happening next. And so it's, it's really nice to know that there is something like bread baking or people that are baking the bread that can comfort us with something that is very familiar. Alan, is there an ebb and flow to what people are looking for or a seasonality to bread? Yeah, I think so. I think just simply enough, the, the heartier breads, uh, the ones with a lot of grains, with a, a lot of big flavor, they tend to be the ones that people want in the wintertime um, because they're, they're just feeling more satisfied. Uh, in the summertime, it tends to be a little lighter, more baguettes, more focaccia, just, just lighter things in general because uh, we don't feel like eating too much in the, in the summertime. But in the, in the wintertime, we just we want to feel satisfied. We want to feel warm. We want to feel feel uh, full. That, that's great. So really paying attention, not just to the seasonality of the availability of products, but the seasonality in the human experience and what people mm-hmm. want and um, providing for that and adjusting and course correcting, but knowing that the next season, something delicious is coming and that there is seasonal bread to have and not just seasonal fruits and vegetables that we think about. So I can't uh, tell you how much I, I really appreciate your work and everything that you and everyone at the Downey Street Bakehouse is doing. So we'll talk more about sourdough after the break. After the break, we'll hear more from Alan Mayu from Downey Street Bakehouse in Stratford, Ontario about artisanal bread baking and particularly how to make the perfect sourdough. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. We're speaking with Alan Mayu from Downey Street Bakehouse about making the perfect sourdough bread. Alan, why do you think we're hearing so much about sourdough these days? Well, the pandemic has certainly uh, brought it, uh, bread making into, uh, into focus, um, most, mostly because people had some time on their hands and they realized that um, it's, not, it's not something that you can whip together really quickly. We have time now, we can do this. And I think um, people are ever increasingly becoming more aware of the health benefits of, the, of uh, some of the foods that they eat. And there's a reason why bread has, has been around in our, in our lives for thousands of years. It's good for us. It nourishes us. And as people realize that uh, I, I need to eat things that are good for me, they're realizing that bread is a good thing and sourdough especially. I couldn't agree more. And also it's, um, you can get your hands in there and you can do something. So your creative energy can, can flow with making bread. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, you know, good for, good for the soul and, and, and good for the body. So, and sourdough seems to be very precise and finicky to work with. And I mean, we talked before the break about temperature, but what other factors make it so? It's understanding that, that there is a flow to it. 
Um, so I, I always go back to what it's like working with commercial yeast and, and, and some of the things that they taught us in school all those years ago that, you know, if you make your dough and it rises too much because you got distracted from something, you can push it down, push all the air out of it and reshape it and it will come up again and it will do that two or three times. What makes sourdough so finicky is that that's not the case. I mentioned earlier, you, you have to feed it or you have to bake it. You either take it to the next stage and add more flour and water to it or wherever the other ingredients are, or you have to get it in the oven because if it falls, it's not going to come back. So that makes it rather fussy and, and finicky and, and complicated to work with. Not impossible, but it is an added challenge. Right. And also the ingredients must have a factor uh, in the success in sourdough. And do you have suggestions for listeners on how to choose the right ingredients to make the perfect sourdough? I always tell people just start simply. You just need flour, water, salt, and, and your starter, which is just flour and, and water. Um, so those, those simple ingredients start with, with uh, unbleached white flour because uh, it's nice and smooth. It's a get technical on you and say whole wheat flour has got chunks in it. And the chunks act like little knives that cut through the gluten that make it difficult for your dough to rise nicely. So just start with white flour. Um, and then as you start to get comfortable with the process and how it works and how it feels, you can start introducing whole wheat flour or rye flour or some of the other uh, uh, more ancient grains like uh, kamut or spelt flour. Um, so really good tips. Start start with your greatest likelihood of success with um, the easier ingredients. So the, the white flour and then work your way up. I think baby steps is is definitely a good uh, a good approach. Alan, you mentioned sourdough starter. What exactly is it and why is it important in making sourdough? Um, the simplest explanation is just that it's flour and water that's gone off. Um, so you mix the two of them together and um, bacteria and, and, and acidity infect that dough, if you will. And, and then as you feed it and, and help it to grow, uh, they fight each other for dominance until they achieve a balance between uh, the acidity and, the, and the, the bacteria, the yeast bacteria, that will allow you to make a loaf of bread. Essentially, it's just flour and water that's gone off, and we use that to our advantage. The way that it has gone off, coincidentally enough, just happens to be really good for us. Very, very good tip and very interesting. I often wonder, uh, is there a special technique, Alan, to consider in making and kneading sourdough? No, it, 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 you got to remember this is something that people have been making bread without recipes and without scales, without without modern mixers for, for thousands of years. So really, you just got to get into it and stick your hands into the flour and mix it all up so that you can feel it and understand how it's supposed to feel and how it changes as you as you mix it and how you and as you knead it. The kneading, I, I've never been a big fan of hand kneading bread. I don't know why when I started doing it all those years ago. And about uh, eight to 10 years ago, um, a technique that was developed probably a couple hundred years ago uh, in Europe started to become popular in North America, baking circles, and it's called the stretch and fold. And instead of just hand kneading your, your dough for 10 minutes to develop that, uh, the strength in the dough to help it to come together and to rise, they, somebody rediscovered that if you uh, mix it until it's all incorporated and it's ready to go, let it sit for about 20 minutes and then just pull up the sides one at a time and fold it over into the center. You do that four times. You bring up the side, fold it into the center, rotate your bowl and do that again. It's called a stretch and fold. And you do that three times in the course of an hour you can create a dough that's just as strong as one that has been in a mixer for five or seven minutes without having to do that extra hard, extra work. So the best tip is just, you know, put the flour in the bowl, get the measure the water up, add that in, add your starter in and go stick your hands in there and just start mixing. It's going to be a little sticky. It's going to be a little messy, but it's, uh, it's going to come together and, and eventually it's going to taste really good. 
That's fantastic. What a, what a great tip. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. So now that we've got our dough stretched and folded, uh, what's the next step? There's, there's sort of, a, I think, three stages that, that I keep reminding my bakers we have to follow. And that, um, So after you've mixed your dough and kneaded it, it needs to rise a little bit. Portion it if you're going to make two loaves. You portion it into however many you're going to do and give it what we call a pre-shake. You just, just strengthen the, the, the dough a little bit by just turning it into a little ball. Um, and then you let that rest and rise a little bit. So you've had two little rises now. Uh, you let that sit for a little while, and then you give it what we call the final shape, the shape that the loaf is going to be when uh, when it goes into the oven. And that's when you give it the next little bit of rise. So you're looking for three little bits of rising before that, that dough goes into the oven. And the reason you do that is so that when it gets into the oven, there's enough fuel left in it for it to rise in the oven. So if you hurry any one of those processes along, you end up not getting a, a very light loaf of bread out of the oven. So those steps are very important to getting a good sourdough loaf. Okay, good. So it's technical all the way through to the end, watching the mm. ingredients, watching your method, watching your um, your technique. And, and then, as you said, once you have the finished product, as you're learning along the way making your sourdough, you'll be able to tell by the air holes and the density of the loaf and how light and fluffy or how delicious it is. And you can, mm-hmm. of course, correct for the next time. I, exactly. I, that's just so great. And what you never know what you're going to get on a show. And so we're talking about uh, learning about life through bread. Um, all that you get with sourdough, where there are uh, artisanal bread bakers crusading forward and making sure we have all of these wonderful things. Thank you so much for the work and what you do. Alan, I'm wondering, what is your favorite thing to eat with sourdough? You know, honestly, I, I, like, I like my bread just plain. You know, why, why, why muddy up a good piece of bread by adding something that doesn't necessarily need to be on there? Sure, if you want that on there, it's good. But I just like mine plain when I'm eating it just the way it is. The test of a really good piece of bread is how does it taste all by itself? Um, does it feel satisfying? Does it feel like, uh, does it make you feel like you want to eat more? Those are very important things. And, and it's not just bread, but for me, that's, that's key for, for a good piece of bread. Do I want to eat more of it? Interesting. You know, we talked a little earlier about um, people becoming experts in in wine or in tea. And so uh-huh. when you talk about eating the bread as it is, all of the notes you would miss or it maybe would be more subtle if you ate it when there was something else on it, that it's a real experience to have an artisanal piece of bread. I can't wait to have some more bread. <laughs> Do you have any final comments to share with our listeners about artisanal bread baking or making sourdough? Yeah, jump right in and give it a try. It, 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 and whether you do it with commercial yeast or with a sourdough starter, give it a try. It, it, it may not go as you would like it to go the first time, but uh, with a bit of practice and persistence, it'll be something that you can become very proud of and enjoy doing. That's really great advice because I think there's always a place for buying that artisanal bread and uh, appreciating the unique things that are available to us. I can't wait to meet you again at the Western Fair uh, Farmer's Market on Saturday because I am in London. However, there's people in Stratford and you're easy to get to to have all of these delicious uh, breads that you make. And thank you so Mm -hmm. much, Alan. You're welcome. Thank you. And and if I may just add, Letting people know that, 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 you know, you can try things. It's okay. You, you, you just might like this. It's a very difficult thing to do, but it's also very rewarding when we see that they come back and go, that was the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. I need more. So, <laughs> so what you're doing with, with your program here and educating people about the food that's around them and what we can do with it and just trying to let people, these are all really good things and, and, and we're glad that you're doing this. Oh, thank you very much. Well, I absolutely love food, the entire system, right from the field 
Uh-huh. Um, the family farmers and, and all the farmers and the people in the process, as you said earlier in the show, about mm-hmm. how, to, how does an artisanal loaf of bread actually appear for someone to have an opportunity to buy it or enjoy it. And uh, I just think that it's a, a really important way of life. And it is uh, really a concept of a way of life. And I'm very happy to hear many people are rediscovering it and even happier yeah. that people like you are still here teaching us and being able to offer us all the things that we'd really, really love to have. Um, um, Alan, I'm really um, grateful for our conversation today and I really appreciate your work. I'm just so happy that you continue to do it. And I'm really glad that artisanal bread is available to help us all um, have a flourishing food system. Thank you. It, it, is, it really is my pleasure. Thank you very much. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Alan Mayu from Downey Street Bakehouse in Stratford, Ontario. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, what bread would your family like to make? Something to do, try making your favorite bread or buying an already baked artisanal loaf to enjoy with your favorite spread. Next week on Food for the Future, we'll discuss food insecurity and cost. We'll be speaking with Margaret Hudson, President and CEO of Burnbrae Farms, about the economic factors that place strains on the agri-food systems, as well as how to get value for every food dollar. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.